Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This is episode 498. We're rapidly approaching episode 500, and I'm trying to cook up something a little special for you. This week, I talk with Steli Efty of Close.com. This is his third appearance on Startups for the Rest of Us, and we dive deep into his knowledge and his advice on selling during a pandemic and what that looks like. And frankly, we don't just talk about selling during a pandemic. We talk about how to set yourself up for success as a founder, as we potentially enter a worldwide recession. And he talks about how you should adjust your sales approach and cold emailing during this this time, you know, whether it's a pandemic or a recession or what, you know, whatever, however you want to define it. It's just how to think about sales and how not to shy away from it, but how also not to be tone deaf during this time. But before we dive in, I want to once again thank Basecamp for their partnership with MicroConf and Startups for the Rest of Us, and we're pleased to have them as a headline sponsor for MicroConf in 2020. And here's a 60-second message from Basecamp. We asked founders and entrepreneurs why they switched to Basecamp when their company started to grow. Christina had just hired some more people. When it came to internal communication, everything was all over the place. There was more work and more people than before, and no way to keep track of it all. Sometimes information was in an email, sometimes in the chat room. They spent too much time on conference calls to figure out what was going on. Then one day, they almost missed a deadline for an important customer because the information was in the wrong place. She knew they needed to get organized, but all the software she looked at seemed complicated and it would take too long to train everybody. Then she found Basecamp. Basecamp puts all of your internal communication in one place so nothing slips through the cracks. And unlike other tools, Basecamp has an incredibly simple structure organized around your teams and projects. Your team will immediately understand and start using it when they see the two-minute introduction video on our site. Go to Basecamp.com to learn more and start a free trial. As we dive into my conversation with Steli, if you haven't heard of Steli before, he is one of the world's expert in startup sales. And frankly, I would say just business to business sales. He speaks all over the world. He has a podcast, runs a company called Close.com, which is a quite successful SaaS app that is CRM, software for salespeople. Steli has been a many time MicroConf speaker and he's written a number of books and ebooks on the topic of sales. And he's been a salesperson, you know, for more than a decade. So I always enjoy my conversations with him and I hope you enjoy the conversation we have today. Steli Efti, thanks so much for joining me on Startups for the Rest of Us for your third appearance. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, man. It's always good to, to chat with you. I think we, we talked maybe seven or eight months ago. And obviously, folks who heard your intro, they know you're just, you've just been steeped in sales, startup sales for, what, eight, nine, ten years? Ten years, man. Ten years, man. We're getting, we're getting older, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I think today I want to dig into some stuff that, that is you know, related to kind of the current crisis of you know, sales is one thing, but sales during a pandemic and quarantine and just all, you know, the chaos and uncertainty, I'm imagining it has to have changed during this time. And so I think to kick off, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you've seen that change, how you can help people kind of adjust to this mindset. And then I think we'll, we'll dive into a little bit about how can companies position themselves. We will have a post-coronavirus world and how do we position ourselves to really be in a good position there? Everything is harder during a global pandemic, as it turns out, you know, finding toilet paper, you know, hanging out with your family. So sales isn't different in that, in that sense. You know, what's funny that the biggest thing that I've noticed is that the good and the bad just gets amplified during a time like this. When you ramp up the anxiety level to 10, the weaknesses are just like amplified so much. And I think the sensibilities and sensitivities 
of people are just like massively increased. So I see two big kind of high level trends and we'll, I'm sure we're going to like dig deeper and deeper and go to the nitty gritty and the details and the technical stuff for people. But there's two big things that I've seen so far. One is kind of a counter steering to even more selfishness and aggressiveness. So salespeople, entrepreneurs, business people, because their anxiety went up so much, kind of the worst side came out and they're like, I don't care. I need money right now. I need to hustle. I need to push. I need to be more aggressive than usual. I, I need to be more selfish than usual. So you'd get these emails that are like so weird. Like I'll give you an example, like a, a, a person that I've known for 10 years now, right? A, a business person that I've known for 10 years. We've helped each other out. He has a couple of businesses. He has a couple of like, he does a lot of content and we've always been friendly. I've always like supported him with the stuff and he supported us with, with the stuff. And then we had an email exchange recently about me being on the podcast and he was like, well, you know, first it was a personal exchange and it was all about like, yeah, don't worry about me, Steli. Life is good. Business is good. Like I'm doing fine. But then he was communicating to somebody on my marketing team was saying, well, if Steli wants on the podcast, we have to charge 10, 15K for that because uh, we have to survive. And that was forwarded to me. And it was such a weird thing to do. Like, tell me directly, hey, everything is fine, Silly. But then tell somebody on my marketing team, I'm going to charge 15,000 and then Silly can be on my podcast. No word about what's in it for us. Like, what is the benefit? What is the value I'm going to get? It's such a selfish comment. I'm going to charge 10,000 because I need to survive. I mean, I get we all need to survive, but that's not. That's not a really compelling selling proposition for me. And then it was also weird because to me, the statement was the world is perfect. And then to another person on my team, the statement was, I need to charge 10K or the world is, is ending. And then even worse, when I said, let's politely decline, right? Let's say thanks, but no thanks. When the marketing person responded, hey, that's going to be outside our budget, but you know, we wish you best of luck. Hopefully everything's going to be fine. He responded, okay, just for you guys, 9K, but you have to take it this week or something like that. Like the weirdest thing ever. What is this? A special offer of 9K this week. It feels really tone deaf. It feels so selfish, so tone deaf, so sleazy. And it really, this is, it only takes a moment to ruin your reputation. It really changed how I think and feel about this individual. Right. And I was like, wow, I never want to deal with this person again. This is so weird. And to me, this is desperation and fear manifesting itself in the, the ugliest form possible. And I don't think that's a way to succeed. I don't think that that's the way for you to make your business succeed. And that's not compelling. Like, I don't think he, he booked tons and tons of guests who pay 10K because I pay attention and there's no guests on this podcast recently, right? It's just him. And so to me, that's one way to go, like people being super selfish. Those are rare, to be honest. Most entrepreneurs and most sales people that have become uber aggressive, but there's a lot of tone deafness in the world, right? These kind of emails, you've gotten them, I've gotten them, people that listen to us right now have gotten them where it's like, don't you know what's going on in the world? Why do you send me this email that seems like so kind of disconnected from what is happening in the world? Right? So that's one thing. The other trend that I see more of, though, and I think this is going to be the problem with the people that are listening to us now, which is the overreaction the different, in the, the opposite direction, which is people and salespeople and founders having such high anxiety and fear to upset anybody that they just stopped communicating, stopped selling, stopped operating, because the thought was, 
well, how could I ever try to do business during a time like this? People are going to get upset with me if I send them an email or if I give them a call, if I try to close a deal. That's so, I can't do that right now. People are hurting. And I think that that's a really bad idea as well. I've told this to more people than ever before. I've had so many one-on-one conversations and my plea is always the same. Listen, number one, the world is not going to become a better place by all of us stopping work. Like if I stop selling, Rob, my future is less secure. My family's future is less secure. My employee's future is less secure. Nobody benefits from me stopping to work because things are tough out there. Like I'm not helping anybody really. So it's not the time to dig a hole and be like, I'm going to just lay in here, lay low and wait till all of this is over. Because the, the truth is that this might take a really long time to be quote unquote over, whatever the hell that means, right? We all don't know. And every day where you don't do business, you are making the problem bigger possible. You make the, the economic flow, the economy less secure. You're making your family less secure, your business less secure. Nobody is being helped by this. So my big ask to people has been, especially during a crisis, you have to keep selling. But you don't do it in a tone-deaf way, and I'm sure we're going to go into more detail. Like my basic philosophy is I'm going to send a sales email. I'm going to make a sales call. I'm going to try to close a deal. I've done, and we'll talk about this. We shifted at close, and we're asking. We, we had one record month after the other this year, from January up until May, of prepays. Right? Every month, we've had more prepays than ever before in the company's history because we made that a focus. And when we started, I didn't know if this would work. I was like, who wants to prepay for a year or two during a time like this? Probably nobody. Turned out quite a lot of our customers wanted to. And we can talk about how we did it and why it worked. But you'd be surprised. People were still buying and selling, and, and it, you have to keep selling. But the way to do it in a I think in a respectful way is not to be overly aggressive and be like selfish. I, we need to increase our prices because we have to survive. Here's the contract. You have two hours to close, to sign it. Like that's bullshit. But also not in an overly apologetic way. I know everything is bad. Are you okay? Are you hurting? Are you afraid? I'm afraid. Did you read the bad news this morning? Nobody wants to hear that. Like people already have enough anxiety in their life. They don't need you to email them with 10 links about world politics that are terrible. How is that helping them? That isn't helping them. And that isn't making you look like a good person either. So my approach has always been, during this crisis, you want to be honest, not fake positive, not fake optimistic. Honest. Hey, is everything all right? Are you good? All right. How are things going right now? You know, are you continuing to do business? Are you stopping everything? Tell me about your world. Tell me about your forecast of the world. Like, do you think that things are going to pick up again in a month, in two months? Are there any like signs that you're looking for before you kind of step into and put the pedal to the metal and do more things or purchase more things or invest in more things? Or how are you going to decide how to move forward? Like I'll ask some of these questions, but I always will ask them with what I would call high energy, right? I want to talk to people not with fake enthusiasm, not with fake positivity, but with energy. Because there's a funny thing. During these times when everybody we are talking to is anxiety-ridden and depressed and fearful and pissed and all the news we're reading are full of like overwhelming facts, the last thing we need is one more person that talks to us that makes us feel even more worse about the world or that seems low energy or apologetic or fearful. That's not the kind of energy we want to surround ourselves with. But if you can talk to somebody today that even during these crazy times is honest and frank and straightforward with you but seems to have energy, seems to have the ability to make decisions, to do things, 
it makes people feel better. It makes people feel like, yeah, I mean, I can have a conversation. I can make a decision. I can take action, right? Even during these times. And there's this old quote from whatever her name is, Angelou or something. People can, can Google it and find it. It's the, like, people won't remember your name. People won't remember the place, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And I think that especially during times where we're all so anxious and afraid and overwhelmed, when we interact with people that make us feel calm, and confident, make us feel a little bit more energized than before. Those are the type of people that we will want to gravitate towards and talk more to. And we will remember that these people stand out. So that's how we've been selling at close and how I've approached reaching out to people. Like, be honest, be frank, don't be fake, but don't be meek. Don't be like, don't whisper and don't be apologetic that you exist. I know the times are hard. Sorry that I'm talking to you right now. Nobody needs that. Nobody's being helped by that attitude and energy that you bring to the table. So that's kind of the biggest thing. Don't be afraid to sell. Selling is good for you. Selling is good for your family. Selling is good for your prospects if you're selling them something that's that could provide value. And we could talk a lot more about it, but that's kind of my big, my big spiel around this. Don't be so afraid because there is a way, I think, to do it that won't piss off all the people, that won't make you a bad person, but it will make the world kind of turn and the economies move forward and your business still operate even during times where it's harder to talk to prospects and close deals. Yeah, and I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is there is an elephant in the room, address it up front. Be honest, don't be fake, have empathy and ask questions with high energy, I think is what you said, right? So it's like, what is your forecast? Well, do you think you're moving forward? You know, and these are to get honest appraisals from people so that it's not kind of, again, this this elephant in the room of like, wow, COVID's happening and we're not talking about it and we're ignoring it and I'm not bringing it up, right? You're just basically saying like, bring it up, discuss it, and then move on with the conversation. Yeah, talk about it, but talk about it with curiosity and energy. Hey, what's your what's happening in your industry? I'm talking to lots of other people. I'm curious about you. What's your outlook? How did you operate over the last couple of weeks? What are the signals you're waiting for moving forward? How optimistic or pessimistic are you about the future? Like ask those questions with curiosity and energy versus being apologetic. Ah, I know, you know, what do you think about the future? How do you operate right now? Like you heard, it's the same question, but I almost feel obligated to feel bad when you ask it that way. Right? I almost feel obligated to tell you that things are worse than they are because you make it sound like that's what I should do. So that, that's really it. And people will talk to you and they will give you answers. And those answers will be very good guideposts on how to proceed, right? Some people, you'll be surprised, you talk to them and they're very optimistic. And they're like, oh, this is bullshit. I think the world is going to be better out of this. I'm very optimistic. I'm not slowing down. I've been making money. I've been driving revenue. I've had some creative ideas. Like we're doing well. Now that's a very different starting point for now talking about Maybe the solution that we have or the things we could do together versus somebody that you talk to that tells you, you know what, my father and my mother are in the hospital. I'm a mess. I haven't made money the last two months. Like, I don't know. I think I'm going to close shop next month. That's kind of important. That's a very different foundation to continue the conversation. Maybe when things are so bad, all you can do is just be like, okay, is there something I can do to help? Can I refer any business to you? Kind of just get out of your way and maybe touch base again in a month and see how things are going. And then maybe the best thing you can do is to leave that person alone, maybe send an email a month from now and ask, hey, are you all right? You know, is your family fine? How about your business? And that alone might make somebody remember you and appreciate you because you were, you were there and you seemed to care and you showed some humanity, which we all appreciate during tough times. And the other person that was like, 
gung-ho, my business is running, I'm making money, I'm positive. With that person, you're like, well, let's get in business. Let's do even more good shit right now, right? And you might go and close a deal. But don't try to avoid talking about these subjects, but also when you talk about them, don't think that you need to come across as if, if you're discussing some horrific, horrific thing, because it might not be for your prospects, right? You, you should just check before you proceed in that direction. Yeah, that makes sense. And so that that quote, I Googled it while you were talking, it was from Maya Angelou, the one about make, yes, you know, yes. how people will remember the way you make them feel. I am curious, you mentioned that, that at close, your team has pulled off a an interesting feat of, of getting people to do annual prepays. Can you talk us through how that's happened and how you've, how you've handled that? Yeah. So we had an oh shit moment in February where I was convinced that a big crisis was ahead of us and that we needed to act really fast and decisively to prepare ourselves for the worst case scenario. And we should do it ahead of time, not wait till it's inevitable, but act really quickly. When it came to the way we were selling up until that point, a big focus of ours was to sign and sell and close long-term contracts with some of our biggest, uh, bigger new customers. So we would sign kind of one, two, three-year contracts that were paid monthly, right? Subscription revenue. And in February, we met up uh, with our sales team. And we decided that if there's a big crisis ahead of us and if there's a big economic downturn ahead of us, a contract is not going to be worth much because a contract is only worth something in a stable world right? If our customers are going out of business, that contract is useless. If they would go out of business unless they break the contract, and so they decide to break it, that contract is useless. We're not going to start suing our customers during a global pandemic. And so the first decision that we made was, let's pull away from contracts. They're going to be useless during very turbulent times, so let's not care about them. Let's not focus on them anymore. And then we said, well, what is going to be important? Well, during a crisis, cash is king. Right now, fortunately or unfortunately, we're running a subscription business. Right, so most of our customers are paying us month to month, and they have the option to kind of stop at any time. That's not good during a crisis or a global economic downturn, right? Because lots and lots of your customers could just decide to stop. So we said, all right, so let's let's try to incentivize our customers to prepay. And then we thought, well, how do we do this during these kind of uncertain times in a very honest and direct way, right? Not sleazy, not trickster, just like an honest offer. And, and we thought, well, it's quite simple. If you want to prepay during highly uncertain times where the risk of prepaying is much higher for you as a buyer, you should be getting a great deal. So we're going to give you an exceptional deal because these are exceptional times. If you feel like your cash situation is really strong, if you feel like your financial future is really stable and you want to get an amazing, like you want to use this crisis to get amazing deals for you, right? If you're in that position as a customer, we're going to make that an option for you. We're going to offer you that. Now, if you don't want that, we totally get it. If you're like, you know what? I want to wait till the world is stable and safe again. That's totally fine. But then you're paying the stable and safe price, right? The price that everybody's going to pay. So you take more risk, you get a better deal. You take less risk, you get a worse deal. It's a very simple, very honest kind of proposition. And so... That's what we did. We approached a lot of our customers. We offered them that. And we also, for the self-service customers, we kind of amped up the, the offer if you prepay. And again, when we started, Rob, I didn't know if this would work, right? And there were some, some voices when we were talking about this internally that were saying, aren't people going to get really upset if we offer them this? And I thought, why? Why should they get upset? There's no lie. There's no 
If I offer you an apartment for half the price because it's a crisis, why would you scream at me? How dare you sell an apartment during a crisis? I mean, that's a crazy, crazy thought process. So we said, you know, let's not, which is another thing that I would want to highlight here. Don't assume what your prospects or customers could get upset about. Don't assume it. Test it. Just test it. Just see. Maybe they'll surprise you. And so we did. We tried it. And the first month that we really rolled this out was March. And a lot of customers, to our surprise, honestly, were excited about it. Although they, at that point, everybody started knowing about what's going on. And they were like, this is just too good of a deal. We don't care. We'll do it. So March was an amazing cash flow month for us. And then we said, well, let's continue doing this and see how it works. And April, the same and May, the same. And there's only been two cases, two cases out of a lot where people got upset. And I'm telling you, Rob, it's like hurt people hurt others and upset people are getting upset. These two people, they got upset in very unreasonable ways. Like it was literally, hey, I saw your offer. I want an even steeper offer. Let's say this is just an example. Your, your software costs 100 bucks. I want it for five and I want to pay it monthly. And it's a global crisis and we're hurting and it's your responsibility to give it to us. And then we said, hey, I mean, a lot of our customers are hurting. We're hurting too. We, we're a small business and we just can't do $5. Really sorry, but we can't. We hope that you're going to be fine. And then the, the person would be like, this is outrageous. I'm going to tweet about this. The world is ending and you can't even give us your software for five bucks. And it's like, this person is unreasonable. And I, I'm not going to bend my entire business for the few that are very loud and just going to get upset about anything anyways. I mean, I'm not, it's like me coming to your apartment and going, Rob, I'm hurting. I need a place to stay. I want to buy your house for 10% because it's a crisis. And you're like, well, but I want to still live here and it's not for sale. <laughs> I can't give it to you for 10%. I'm like, outrageous. I'm going to write about this. People are dying and you can't even give me your house. I mean, people are crazy sometimes. And so there were two cases where I felt pe these people were just very unreasonable. And I just assumed these people were hurting so much that we're kind of slightly out of their minds. And we try to be like empathetic, but we also keep it moving. Like we, we didn't try to cater to, didn't try to make them feel better because people that are out of control, you just got to have to let them be. And nothing really happened. They, they moved along and hopefully they found some other solution that worked for them. But most of our customers and mo most people that were really like either saying, no, we can't make that. We would want to take that deal or, you know what, that's a really good deal. We'll think about it. Yes or no. It was a very simple thing, surprisingly. And just now, just like the last two weeks, our sales team has started saying, you know what, we start seeing less bites, like less prospects bite on the prepace. Maybe it's because now it kind of finally is clicking for many of them. Maybe it's just, it's just two weeks. So we decided that it's too early to shift our strategy, right? Maybe it's just like the kind of deals that we got through the pipeline. It's too small of a sample size, but we're going to keep an eye on it. And maybe we'll have to change the strategy at some point. But over the last couple of months, I, our cash position has drastically improved, almost doubled, which made our business a lot more stable. The job for people that work at Close, a lot more secure. And also for our customers, made it more secure that we're going to be able to service them and, and, and offer them increased innovation and great support and everything they need to be able to use our platform. So it's been a win-win-win for everybody. And there was no rocket science. There was no trickery. It was not some kind of a hack that we used. Just a very strong offer. And we just approached our customers with it to see what the response would be. And in our case, this might not be true for everybody, but in our case, the response was really, really good. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. So it, you only approached existing customers, right? This wasn't for new folks coming in? Both, okay. both. Existing customers as well as new folks. Got it. I feel like folks who are in a strong cash position, the stuff is on sale. You know, you, you hear Warren Buffett often say, hey, in a, in a recession, stocks are on sale. And if I were a customer of clothes, I would view it as, wow, I'm getting clothes on sale right now because of this, right? And if I was in a strong cash position, I would kind of jump at it. So I think I think companies in that position have a real advantage, mostly coming out of a recession, but going into it as well. I'm curious, you've talked about how to sell during a pandemic, you know, how to think about it in this way, whether it's getting cash prepays or whether it's just being empathetic and being honest and calling out the the elephant in the room. You know, let's say three months, six months down the line, we are coming out of a recession, maybe it's nine months, whatever it is. Does the approach change? And at that point, let's let's just make assumptions. I realize everything's up in the air, so I don't want to, I'm not trying to make predictions, but let's assume that we get through coronavirus and that it just becomes much, much less of an issue over the next three to six months. And let's assume that it's six to nine months, like we're in a recession and then stuff is coming out. Is there a dramatic shift to how you're, you would be doing sales now versus normal times versus coming out of a recession? Or, or is it basically the same? It's not the same in, in this. So, so the fundamentals of selling are always going to be the same. At least I'm convinced of that. So in that sense, that never changes or shouldn't, shouldn't change. But I think the, the, the strategy needs to be much more one where what I'm convinced of, right? Right or wrong. I don't know what's going to happen, obviously. But I'm convinced that the next 24 months are going to be hard to predict. And it might be that the, it's going to play out like... 15 months of quiet time seems like we're past it, everything is fine, and then three insane months. It might be that it's like every three months is big news. I just think it's going to be hard to predict. My sense is that there's a couple of really significant dominoes in the world that have fallen, and we have not yet felt the impact of that. Like It's going to kind of come out later. So my philosophy is very much one where it is a crisis until at least for three quarters in a row, no bad news or no new news has popped in terms of what's going on. And during a crisis time, I feel like it's not the strongest or the biggest that survive, it's the most adaptable that do. So I think the goal needs to be much more on being much more agile and quicker to respond to changing circumstances and I think that over the next 24 months, long-term planning, long-term goals and strategies that you have to play out over like a whole year are going to be much riskier. Like putting plans together that take a year to play out and assume that whatever is happening in the world today is just going to stay that way for the next 12 months. I just think it's riskier. It might be good, but, but it's just higher risk. And so I think from a sales perspective for the next 24 months, cash is king is going to stay true. I think that Time to close over total deal value is going to stay true. So what that means is that today I would always prioritize closing deals a little faster and giving up a little bit of money for that speed versus trying to optimize for maximum money and taking more time to negotiate and close the deal. Because again, as said, today, maybe you have a very large customer. Maybe you're just days away from closing a whatever 100K deal. But you think if you push a bit further, you could get 130K. But it might take you a month longer to do that. Today, I would advise you to take the 100K today that are being wired tomorrow into your bank account versus waiting four weeks and trying to get 130K. Now, that might be bad advice, right? Because if the world isn't changing, 30 extra K would have been nice. But just as a general philosophy, in, in whatever tactic or philosophy you have during this time, you can't win every single time. So 
my point of view is you want to close deals as quickly as possible during this time, not being rushed, not being uncareful, but not taking your sweet time as a negotiation tactic. Uh, if we let these people wait for another two weeks, they're going to get even more desperate and give us even more money. You can do that if you're in the comfortable, if you're like a Warren Buffett and you're like, I have unlimited money in the bank and this is the time to really squeeze people and get great deals. Cool. That's fine. But if you're just operating a small business and you're trying to get some big deals through, I would rather close the deal today than wait to make it slightly better and close it in a week from now. So I think having shorter cycles of planning, I think optimizing for, for cash flow, and I think optimizing for speed are strategies that, that I at least assume we at close are going to keep as kind of our operating principle and guideposts for the next 12 to 24 months. That, that's what I would advise to people. What happens when, when we're all convinced that we're through this and the world is back to quote-unquote normal what, or the new normal, whatever that means? That's very hard to say, right? I, I can't really forecast. I assume less meetings in person. <laughs> I assume that this time is going to accelerate adoption of software and technology. In many ways, this is going to benefit us, the people that are listening to this podcast. But in some ways, it's not going to be good for society, and it's a, it's a mixed bag. But travel, meetings in person, offices, offline, and any commerce, any selling that happened kind of person-to-person that happened in meetings that happened through travel, I suspect is not going to rebound super quickly. So more part of the funnel is going to be happening through technology, remotely, through asynchronous communication. And again, that I think benefits startups and software founders more so than many others in other industries. Sure, because so many of us, especially in our community, are are already remote. We've been doing doing it for years, and people are catch, finally catching up. You know, I've heard some um, podcasters that I listen to in like the like the tech news space and in kind of the cord cutting space, and they have studios at their house, right, with double you know two two fiber lines coming in, and they have these. They're hobbyist or well, they're one level above hobbyist, but they look really good on on camera. They have nice HD cameras and really good microphones, and and they're laughing because you know, the newscasters and and the people who are used to doing this in a television studio who are now doing it from their home are using their iPhones with a crappy AirPod because they don't have the studio set up. And I think it's funny that the, the rest of the space is kind of catching up with those of us who have been doing it from home for years and, and being remote. I, I want to find out, I mean, I think as we kind of, you know, transition and, and start to get into wrap up, I've had several questions about cold email lately. And I actually got a question a couple months ago, right before the pandemic, and someone said, hey, it would be great to hear a whole episode on cold email. And once the pandemic started, I thought, you know, is that is that worth doing now? Or, you know, should I should we maybe wait until things settle down a bit? I'm curious to hear from you if... The trend, I mean, I, I started getting cold emails, I'll say in 2011, 2012. And early on, I've hired a person through cold email. I have bought software through it, but less and less these days, just because, you know, you get so much and it's it's such a, I feel like it's such a shotgun approach that a lot of people are trying. So I'm curious right now, given this space, you, you've already talked about the shift in selling during a pandemic, but is it still worth cold emailing right now? And if so, like, what's the adjustment to the approach? Yeah, so... I do think there's still power in cold emailing people. I think it still works in many areas. The question is always the approach. In a world where there's so much more cold email and spam email and, and whatever, you can't just be average, right? Because average really equals noise. So if you send me a really great email, it's going to stand out more so than even before because all the other emails I get are so terrible. But you really have to write great emails. Like great emails will never be out of fashion. 
but it's just much harder work. It's harder work. You need to be more thoughtful. You need to spend a lot more time and energy. And people don't like that. People just want to go and write, do a copy-paste email, send it to 10,000 people in one blast, and then assume that business is going to come in. And then when that doesn't happen, they're like, see, cold email is dead. It doesn't work. We tried it. It's like, no, no, you just did it really, really badly. So I've always taught a principle when it comes to, to cold email that I think is timeless and just works now better than ever before, which is to actually think about it in kind of UI UX terms. A lot of times when we write cold emails, we think very selfishly. What do I want from Rob? Rob is an important business figure. He has money. He invests in startups, let's say. I want him to use my tool to do investments, whatever the hell it is, right? Let's say I have a tool. So I'm going to send Rob an email telling him, Rob, I know you and I know you should buy my software because my software is great. Here's the link. Please give me money. Now, that email is very selfish. If you think about it, it's just all about me what I want from you right now, right? And that's not going to work well most of the time. Now, what if I flip the script and I ask myself, who is Rob? How does Rob's email inbox look like? How many emails does he get every day? Why is what I have to offer, why could it potentially be valuable to Rob? And how can I first convince him to give me a little bit of his attention so we can start building a relationship so eventually I have a shot of showing him truly what I have to offer and he can honestly tell me if this is useful or not useful for him. And how can I approach this email as a starting point into a long-term relationship I'm trying to nurture with Rob? So then I'm asking myself, all right, how do I write a subject line so that Rob will pay attention to it? It will raise his curiosity, but it's going to deliver what it promises, right? I can't just send you an email that the, where the subject line is, I have your children in my basement with a gun at the head. That's going to get your attention, and that's going to get you to open the email, but that's not a great start to a relationship, right? And I can't, and some people try to be funny about these things, and then they write, ha, 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 got you. It was just a joke. Now, let me pitch you my product. If you lie to me in the beginning of our relationship, I'm not going to want you in my life, right? And sorry for the terrible, terrible example here, you know, horrific example. But the subject line can also be software that you're going to need. Please click the link and pay me money, right? Anything like that, you'll know. Or the 10 reasons why you should be in business with me. You're not going to open even that email. You know what's coming. Right? You, you know that this isn't a good email for you. So I have to ask myself, what can I do to start this relationship? And then how do I think through the emails in step-by-step -step terms? What's the very first question that you have when somebody emails you? When you open an email, Rob, from somebody that you don't know, what's the first thing you're trying to answer? So first I, I try to answer, do I know this person? But if, if I don't know this person, I'm, I'm always thinking, what do they want from me? And are they asking for my time or are they giving me something, right? That's kind of what I'm figuring out. What, what do they want? Who is this and what does this person want from me, right? That's kind of your, your focus. So it makes sense to start with that. You know how many cold emails, and I could go on and on and on, we don't have unlimited time, and we'll give people a resource later on like cold emails and how to think about this. But if the beginning of your cold email, let's say I send you an email, Rob, and the starting point of my email is, hey, Rob, my name is Steli Efti. My company recently had a very big news on TechCrunch that we released a new feature. I think that you're really going to enjoy the article. And the other thing that I wanted to tell you is that there is a video attached that I think you'll really enjoy. It's a five-minute demo of our product. By this point, at least I am this way. I don't know how you are. I'm like, what the f*** is this? Who are you and what do you want from me? Why are you you're starting off as if I already know you? 
I don't even know what we're talking about here. And you're sending me, you're already pointing me to links and homework and videos to watch. Or the, the reverse is somebody that talks too much about themselves. Like the first five paragraphs are like, hey, Rob, I recently listened to a podcast of you. And, you know, it reminded me of when I was 12 years old. When I was 12, I also liked entrepreneurship. And I never thought that I would move to Bulgaria one day and then make my way to Greece. And you're like... All right, it's nice to hear all these things, but who are you? And, and why should I, why are you assuming that I will read something that will take 10 minutes of my life about all these random things about you without me understanding what you want from me, right? And what's in it for me. So these are just, I mean, I could go on forever, but these are just some examples of you're writing this and you're not getting to the point of here's who I am, here's why I'm reaching out to you right now, and here's what I want from you, Right. And that doesn't mean that if you do these things that people are all going to respond and be like, yes, here's all my money. But at least people will quickly understand, hey, Rob, I'm Steli. I'm somebody that's a micropreneur that's maybe the kind of audience that you have, Rob, the kind of people you're talking to. I'm telling you why I'm reaching out right now. The reason I reach out right now to you is I just finished my prototype. There's only a few people I think could give me feedback. You're one of them. You're the one of the people that I respect the most. So I didn't have a choice then to email you. Right? That's kind of like, I get that. That's, I, I don't know how you feel, but if somebody sent me an email like that, I'm like, oh, okay, I want to help this person. And then here's what I want from you. Please give me this amount of time. Maybe five minutes is already too long. Maybe watch a video is maybe too, too long already. But at least it's crystal clear. Right? I know who you are, why you're getting in touch with you right now, and what you want me to do. And this is such a simple rule. And 99% of the time cold sales emails, they don't get to these three questions quick enough. And so they lose the listener or the reader before they ever had a chance because they ramble on over things. Either they assume you already know all these things and they jump the gun and go too quickly into details that I'm like, wait a second, who is this? What is this about? What, what are all these links? What are all these things? Or they go too slow and I'm like, wait a second, I, I haven't said, yes, I want to read 20 pages about your life history before you tell me what you want from me. So just thinking through empathetically, who is it that I'm reaching out? What does their inbox look like? What are the basic questions this person is going to have when they receive my email? And then designing an email in a way that answers the appropriate question at the right time can make a world of a difference. And we put together a resource, Rob. It's called actually Good and Bad Emails During Crisis. And we collected like really great sales emails during this pandemic that companies have been sending out and really terrible ones just as a resource for people. That's just one thing. We released a couple of other resources, how to lead sales teams through crisis, how to close deals through crisis. People want these resources and want to take a look. I have more questions. You can always get in touch with me, steli at close.com. Just in the subject line, just type in crisis toolkit, and I will respond with a link for you, and you can get all the stuff for free. But these are just some high-level pointers of how to think about this. And I think if you think through what the world looks like for the person you want to reach out to, and if you answer those questions quickly... Who am I? Why am I reaching out to you today? And what do I want from you? You're already way ahead of the curve. And again, not everybody will respond and want to give you their money, but your chances are going to be much higher to see some success through this. Awesome. Thanks so much, Stella. You always bring the resources. And I definitely appreciate that. I've gotten feedback in, about past episodes, you know, of people emailing you and, and getting the eBooks and such that, that you give away. So definitely appreciate that. And I, I bet some people would take you up on it. And I think there's a lot of value. Yeah, so Steli, if folks want to keep up with what you're doing, of course, you have a podcast with Heaton Shaw called The Startup Chat. They can check out. You're at Steli, S-T-E-L-I on Twitter. 
and they can drop you an email, stelly at close.com. And if they want to hear the the crisis, what, what was the thing called? The crisis packet? Crisis toolkit. Crisis toolkit. Awesome. Thanks again, Stelly. Thank you so much for having me, Rob.